Hey, welcome to our next session in the book of Philippians. As we are working our way through chapter 4, we are going to be reading tonight in verses 6 through 9. It's the NIV. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen here. Uh, This is what, what Paul writes. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, or excuse me, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Right now, we're in kind of like a mini-series in the greater context of uh, the book of Philippians, and we're talking about what it means uh, to be a person who walks in the peace of God. In our last session, we talked about praying into peace, In this session, we're going to talk about partnering with Scripture into peace. And our next session, we'll talk about practicing our lifestyle, practicing in such a way that leads us into a lifetime of peace. I remember years ago, I worked for AT&T, and there would uh, be times where I would have to travel and um, there were often times where, you know, most times they would want us to get on a flight about once a month. And I remember one time I had a connecting flight in Atlanta and I was flying to Jacksonville. And that flight is only about an hour, maybe even less than that. And the, the flight was delayed because of weather and all of this kind of thing. And it was nighttime. And uh, I remember after we had waited for probably 40 or 45 minutes, the pilot, you know, they just kind of said, we're going to take off anyway. And so that, that wasn't super comforting. Um, but, but I remember we, we took off in the flight and we're climbing, you know, and all this kind of thing. And as we're, we're starting to pan out and I'm not even sure if it was that or if we were already in the descent, but the weather was just increasingly more tumultuous. It was, it was just bad and you could feel everything shaking and rocking around. And there was one point in the flight where, I mean, I don't know aerodynamics or anything like that or science, what's you know, what can happen without killing you or what can't. But I'm telling you, that plane dropped significantly in the air. There was a serious drop. People came out of their seats, you know, with their seatbelts, their bottoms came out of the seat. Things were flying all over the aircraft. People were screaming. Babies were screaming. You know, people, you know, uh, if I remember right, there was a lady next to me and she grabbed my hand, you know, just for security and safety as if that was going to help anything. Um, And in the back of the plane, I heard this lady and she was praying, but she was praying in tongues and she was praying so loud. And that's probably what saved us from, from dying that day. But it was, it was a crazy moment And I remember feeling so unsettled. I remember feeling so unsafe and just like, this is it. Like, this is, this is the end. This is where it's all going to be over. You know, I'm thinking about my family and all of this kind of thing. It was just this up and down and, you know, back and forth, all this kind of thing. It was a really, really disturbing flight. 
And as I look at the state of the world in which we live right now, I think that we have been conditioned probably over the past decade to live in a state of turbulence. You know, we're jostled back and forth with politicians and, you know, especially in the pandemic and we didn't know if, you know, the whole world was going to die or if zombies were going to pop up or if the government was going to, you know, overwhelm and take control of everybody and everything. Um, it was just this, this horrific, you know, season of time. But, but even beyond that, there just seems to be a real state of unrest that that's present in the world where we're seeing wars pop up that just for some reason seem to be more significant than they've ever been before um, we're, we're seeing just everything at a real heightened state right now and for a lot of us we're just conditioned to be unsettled we're conditioned to just we feel like our soul is being jostled back and forth at at all times and we're never steady we're never smooth we're never just just really at a state of peace or rest and as paul is writing here to the philippians as i mentioned very briefly in our last session, the Philippian church was, they were not naive or unfamiliar with what it meant to have unrest. They were facing incredible persecution uh, by men like Nero, who was a type of Hitler, who was a type of Antichrist. Um, they, were, they were suffering through things like food shortages, and they weren't sure where the Roman Empire was going to end up. They were having problems within their own church. There was a lot to be nervous about, a lot to be anxious about. And so Paul, as he's writing these words, he's kind of addressing them, and he's giving them a path and a, a plan not to be a people that are so unstable and so unsettled, but people whose hearts and their minds are guarded by the sovereign peace of God that even surpasses understanding. So tonight what I want to do is I want to talk to you, uh, number one, about a, a few uh, things that cause us to live in a state of unrest. But then what I want to do is I want to talk to you what Paul says about fixing our thoughts on certain things and neglecting thinking or dwelling on other types of things. The first thing I want to mention is the, the things that bring us unrest. Unrest, number one in your notes, comes from worldly influences. Man, modern news uh, sources, they, you know, they're, they're filled with, I hate to be so negative, but they're, they're filled with deception and they're, they're filled with death and they're filled with destruction. And even when they're telling the truth, it's usually not encouraging truth. You know, you usually walk away from your phone or from your television and you're just like, well, I guess it's over. You know, it, it, they, they produce this type of unrest. And the reason that they do that is because they know that psychologically and emotionally that if we sense unrest, we're going to go to the place where we feel like there's an answer for that unrest. And oftentimes we feel like news outlets or whatever the case, they brought us bad news. And so at some point they're going to bring us good news. And so it keeps us coming back. It's like bait. It keeps us coming back. But that's not necessarily reality. You know, we've got not only news sources, but we've got conspiracy theories, which are like fake news sources, you know, and they, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gotten uh, an email that says, hey, my brother's uncle's sister's cousin works at the Pentagon and the Pentagon has told them secretly, but they haven't leaked it to anybody else. But I'm just going to tell you because I love and care about you that the whole world is coming to an end. You need to buy all this ammo and food and all this stuff. And, 
And I'm just like, what is that? And you just get these things over and over and over again. And it creates this sense of unrest and, and, and disheartenment. When we look in the book of Numbers, there was a situation very similar um, to, to the unrest that we experience. You remember when uh, Moses and Joshua, the children of Israel, they're approaching the promised land. And so Moses sends 12 spies over to the land. They stay there for a little over a month. They end up coming back and they report to Moses what they've seen. And part of what they say, they say, man, it is everything you said it would be. It's all the good. It's all the good. It's all the good. But then they say, but there's also a bad thing. There are giants there and the cities are fortified. And, you know, I'm afraid if we go in there, we're, we're going to end up dying. But then you have these two men, Joshua and Caleb, and they go to Moses. They say, yeah, everything they're saying is true. But if the Lord has given this to us, we need to be a people that walk in faith. And then the other 10 and the whole community really of Israel, they would not see the good and the bad. They only wanted to focus on the bad. And if we're not careful, we can get our, our, we can be so influenced and have a sense of unrest because we're listening to the wrong voices in the world. Okay, so number two, unrest oftentimes comes from dark spiritual forces. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, he said a final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. There is a reality of another realm. It's the spirit realm. And the Bible says in the New Testament that Satan is the ruler of this world. Now, he is under the dominion of God, but God has allowed him to have access and some liberties in the world in which we live. And sometimes that means that we are under spiritual attack. And so sometimes, you know, we can be tormented by just these thoughts that keep coming to us that provoke anxieties and uh, phobias and depression and a sense of hopelessness. Sometimes this is the spirit of Antichrist that's driving all these things. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to remind ourselves that although, yeah, dark, you know, spiritual forces are at play and they can bring unrest, we've still got to remember that God is sovereign over all and that nothing can withstand his mighty, plant, uh, his mighty hand, but we must find ourselves resting in his presence. So it comes from, you know, unrest comes from worldly influences. It also comes from dark spiritual forces. But oftentimes within our own heart, unrest comes from a lack of trust in the Lord. Um, sometimes different personalities, uh, they are given to fears, like, like certain protective fears. So uh, you will see some people that just for whatever reason, they're more nervous in different situations or they're more anxious or they have more fear about a lot of things. Um, you see this a lot with parenting and, and, you know, I have this tendency, so I kind of feel a little free to talk about it, but you know, there is this era right now that we live in where we have been, you know, we've seen all these crazy things that go on in the world. And so we are like, you know, helicopter parents is what, what they're called. You know, they've been dubbed as, and they just constantly, they never, you know, they can't let their kid trip and fall and scrape their knee because that knee may get infected. And I saw a news report how a knee got infected. They had to cut the kid's leg off and it wasn't just his leg. The infection went up to his heart and the kid ended up dying. Okay. And so like, I'm serious. These are the types of things. This is where we often 
oftentimes let our minds run to, but so much of that is rooted in, the, in, in a lack of trust in God. At some point, we have got to release certain things, listen to me, especially the things that we have absolutely no control over. We worry and we fret and we get overwhelmed with so many things that are so far beyond our reach and we have no business dealing with that because there's nothing we can do about them anyway, but yet we become a slave to this type of mentality. Um, a few weeks ago on uh, Theology Matters, which is my social media platform, uh, I recorded a session where I was talking about how parents pray for their children. And I was being very honest about how I pray for my kids. And I was saying, typically I'm praying for my kids in a defensive manner. You know, I'm praying, Father, please protect my children and, you know, don't let the enemy get a foothold in their mind and guard their innocence and, you know, guard them from harm and all this thing. And, and we should pray like that. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are needed and necessary prayers. But I have been trying to train my heart not only to pray in a defensive posture, but also in an offensive posture. And when I do this, I'm, I'm really putting my trust in the Lord. I'm not just saying what my fears are. I'm not just expressing what my fears are to God. I'm also saying what my hopes are to the Lord. And so I, I pray all of these things, God protect them and all these things. But now I've pivoted and I'm beginning to pray things like, Father, I thank you that the seeds of the gospel have been planted in their soul. And I thank you that it is your desire to seek and to save that which was lost. And I thank you, God, that there's a purpose for the lives of my children. I thank you, God, that not only are you, you know, over here, are you removing bad friendships, guard them from bad friendships. But Father, I thank you that you're bringing good and godly friendships and you're going to plant them into their life so that they can fulfill the purposes of God in their generation. So you understand what I'm saying? Like, like unrest can come from a lot of different places and we have to learn to manage this unrest. And Paul gives us a threefold process to do that. Part of it is prayer. Part of it in this session is partnering with scripture. And then in the next session, we'll talk about practicing into peace. But for tonight, as we talk about partnering with scripture, I wanna talk to you about the, the several elements where Paul says, listen, reshape your thinking. Stop dwelling on certain things and begin to dwell on these things. And as you do this, you're partnering with God's word. And so as you do this, the peace of God begins to flood the mind and the soul. Now, a lot of these things where Paul says, think on things that are this and this and this and this, a lot of them, they're not necessarily synonyms. They don't all mean the same thing, but most of them are very closely related, okay? They're, they're closely connected on some level. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of open, you know, our minds to a little bit of the nuances and to say this is, you know, this is what it means, but this also is what it could mean, okay? So number one in your notes is this. Paul says to think on that which is true. Okay, this is the idea of dwelling on what is scripturally true. Okay, this means whether we feel it or not, whether we believe it or not, it's in scripture. So we know it to be the eternal word of God. We know that God is not a liar. We know that it is true 
scripturally true. So this is the idea that God is a father, that God is a savior, that God loves me, that God cares for me. Uh, It is the idea that God wants me to have good and healthy relationships within my marriage and with my children and with my friendships. The scripture reminds me that I am deeply loved, that I am loved as an adopted child into the kingdom of God. I'm to dwell on the things that I know to be true, okay? Um, In the final days, what you've seen, uh, the final days that we live in, what you've seen is like this deception that has arisen, and it's almost like it's steering the ship of our thought life anymore, right? So this is why Paul reminds the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world steer the ship in how you think but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, the renewing of our mind comes from being washed, as the Apostle Peter would say, being washed by the word of God. So that's that's what we're talking about here, reminding ourselves of the things that are scripturally and eternally true, okay? Um, You remember a few months ago, I I reminded us about the importance of uh, anchoring in scriptural truth and just meditating. And the word meditate out of the book of Psalms is the same idea as ruminating or the same idea as a cow that is chewing its cud, if you've ever heard that expression. And basically what a cow does is as they eat grass throughout the day, the first time that they engulf some grass it goes into one compartment in their stomach. And this stomach begins to draw out different nutrients that go to different parts of the cow's body and so on and so forth. And then at a certain point, the cow's body automatically, without even trying, the the cow's body automatically regurgitates, and we call this cud, and he begins to chew on the cud again. He basically begins to chew on his vomit, okay? And at a certain point, as he chews on the cud, he'll swallow it again. It goes to a different compartment. That compartment begins to draw certain nutrients and fibers from it to go to different parts of his body. And on and on and on throughout the day, up to 60 times a day, a cow will regurgitate, chew the cud, and swallow it again. And what is happening in this process, that as they ruminate, they are, they are taking everything every nutrient, and they are, they are just stripping the grass or hay or whatever it is, they are stripping it of all its goodness, and they are making it a part of their body, but that would not just happen if they swallowed it one time. They would swallow it one time, it would take some nutrients, but it would be passed through their body, and the rest would just be left. But more than 60 times a day sometimes, they they do it in order to strip it of its nutrients. The same idea with meditating on scripture is this. As we ruminate on the scripture, as we let it just, just go through our soul throughout the day, as we recite scripture that God has put in our heart as we've read, and, and we remind ourselves of the truth of God's eternal word, that there are certain spiritual nutrients that are feeding our soul in places we have no idea. It is doing a work even if we don't realize it. I want to challenge you to take an entire day, take three scriptures and just focus all throughout the day, the first part of the morning on one scripture and just recite it, dwell on it. Lord, what does this mean? Lord, what does this mean to me? And do it all throughout the day and see if your day and your mental, uh, you know, where you are mentally, tell me if that doesn't improve. It will because you are meditating that which is true. Okay, so Paul says, think on things that are true. Number two, 
he says, think on things that are noble. This idea of nobility is appreciating, or at least this is one of the variations it can be. Um, It's the idea of appreciating godly attributes that you see in other people. Okay, this, this idea of nobility. It's me focusing not on my coworker who is a pathological liar, but focusing on my boss who is a truth teller, who is loving. It's not focusing on you know, certain politicians that we disagree with or we think are dumb as dirt, but it's focusing on people that are wise, on people who are full of justice, on people who are full of mercy, on people who are honest in their dealings. Think on things that are noble, not just people who have bad attributes about them, but focus on the good and the godly attributes. Number three is to think on that which is right. This idea of right is a little bit different than than true in in this way. When you talk about thinking on that thing which is true, you're talking about the eternal scripture, the, the eternal truths of the word of God. When you're thinking about something that is right, it is the idea of focusing on principles, life principles that are good, right? So the idea that truth in the end will prevail is something that you should dwell on that is right. It's one thing to sit around and just say, man, you know, there's all this gossip, there's all this slander, it's gonna sink my life or it's gonna sink that other person's career. Instead of just dwelling on that, it's important to remind ourselves that eventually, it may take decades, but eventually truth prevails. Truth will win out. And we are called to focus on that because it is a right principled thing. The idea that in the end of all this, God is going to win. We, we, you know, we, we are on his team and he is going to win and have success in all of this thing. That is a correct, it is a right principle that we are called to give our attention to. Okay, So it's, it's, it's not just thinking on what is principally right, but it's not thinking on what is principally wrong. Okay, number four in your notes, think on that which is pure. This is the idea of casting down immoral and perverse thoughts. Uh, We live in such a sexualized culture, a sensualized culture. We need to be a people that have a mental filter, uh, a filter over our eyes, over our ears, so that we can focus on things that are pure. Um, even, even things beyond sexuality like, that are just immoral and wrong, you know, there is this huge fascination right now with uh, vile, murderous activity. There are all these docu-series that are on Netflix and all these different platforms that are focusing on, you know, the making of a serial killer. And, you know, it, it just focuses on these, these men and women that have done atrocious things. And for some reason in our culture, there's this fascination towards it. And I think what it has done, uh, even though it's, we, we believe that it's entertaining in the moment, what it's actually done is it, it has imparted fear and anxiety into our lives. I had a family member one time and they, they, they were just obsessed with this thing. They would just talk about it all the time and everything. And um, I, I get a phone call one night. They're like, hey, can you, can you come you know, help? I, I think somebody maybe you know, in our home or something like that. And you go over there and everything's fine, of course. And I was like, what, what have you been doing the, the past couple of days? What would make you think this? They were like, well, you know, I was just sitting, I was watching this documentary on, well, I'm like, well, of course you think there's an ax murderer in your closet, okay? You're dwelling on that. But what you need to do is dwell on things that are pure, okay? Not things that are immoral. Number five, think on that which is lovely. 
This is the idea of pondering on beauty or pondering on things that are wholesome. Um, I know that oftentimes in churches, and I'm so guilty of this, um, you know, the church is called to have orthodoxy, which is correct belief, okay? But oftentimes in order for people to understand correct belief, they have to understand what incorrect belief is. And so oftentimes, you know, like I said, I'm super guilty of this. Um, pastors sometimes can be obsessed with what's wrong with culture or what's wrong with Christian culture in order to say this is what scripture says how we should live. But, but I think it's important for us to understand that, that we should really be focusing a lot on that which is wholesome. We don't need to be talking so much about the divorce rate in America and how bad it is in the church and all this kind of stuff. We need to be people who elevate and focus on healthy homes and, and celebrate those people who have good and godly marriages and are raising good and godly generations. We need to focus our attention to that. We need to uh, be people that, that think on the thing, the, the wholeness and the beauty of our salvation that our great God has extended to us. We need to look at children and think on their innocence and how pure and wholesome that is. Uh, we need to think, you know, as Paul would say, um, when, you, when you see a woman, whether she's beautiful on the exterior or not, look deeper than that. Look on her inner beauty and see the glory of this woman. That's what it means to look on something that is wholesome or something that is, is beautiful. Number six is to think on that which is admirable. This is the idea of thinking on things that are kind of lofty, you know, uh, almost like heavenly. This is why different times in scripture, this is what Paul would say. Paul would say, listen, here are the spiritual gifts, but man, in your heart, you need to pursue the greater spiritual gifts. In other words, don't just set your eyes here, set your eyes on the heavens, set your eyes on the things that are greater. The psalmist would say, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who is gonna be the person that doesn't just look at their current landscape, but who's someone who has their eyes, their eyes focused on the things of God? We're reminded to continuously, especially as the Lord's uh, uh, coming draws closer, to set our focus on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth. That's what it means to think on those things which are admirable. And then finally, number seven, we're to think on things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And this is just simply the idea of things that are spiritually excellent. In my mind, this last section right here where he says anything that is excellent, anything that is praiseworthy, it's almost like a crescendo for Paul. He's saying, think on this, think on this, think on this, think on this. And you know what? Just anything that is excellent, anything that is praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And as you do, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. It's not just positive thinking, it is spiritual thinking. And as we do this, God will be faithful to his word and we will have peace that surrounds our souls. Amen.